The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. The darkness has found you. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 12. I'm your host, Jason Hill. And oh, I do love the holidays. It makes me want to sing. Oh, dashing through the snow In a one-horse open sleigh Over the fields we go Laughing all the way <laughs> Yes! Uh, it's a magical time of year, don't you think? So full of giggles and nibbles of good cheer. Which brings me to tonight's story. The tale of a man named Henry, who just had a wonderful life. Oh, and um, you might be tempted to think from the title and the first few minutes that this one's a comedy. But stick with it, friends. Because, let me tell you, it ain't. Shall we? In case you didn't know, you're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to give yourself the greatest Christmas gift of all, and support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Like that new stepdad your mom brought home all those years ago on that Christmas morning. I wonder where he is now. I'm sure dear old Dave is spreading Christmas cheer somewhere with that other family that he loved just a little bit more than yours. Oh, here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. The darkness has found you. And now, without further ado, from author Richard Morgan, I give you Wholesome Henry's Holiday Hijinks. Do you believe in miracles? It's Christmas, and this is the time of year folks invest in miracles. They hold out for them, something like an annual jubilee. No matter how bad the year, they hope that everything will somehow snap together and be made right with the winter solstice. Lovers hope for marriage. The homeless and broken-hearted hope for restitution. Sinners hope for redemption. People just hope. But we forget how there are some wrongs in the world that are so pronounced that even making them right would be, well, shall we say, Less than heartwarming. Henry Beavers was trying to work his way through one such wrong. He was having a dickens of a time figuring out just who was responsible. 
They used to think he was responsible. But the more he retraced his steps, the more he found whispers of other steps. If you get me. His old house was at 1312 Elm, the quiet town of Fucky-Wucky Falls. Oh, you heard right. The house was always boarded up by the time he could make another visit. He had to bring a special coffee to make things right. A couple of swigs and the dirty tile floor was shiny as glass. There was Mary in the kitchen, making a tower of pancakes. There was Bucktooth Timmy at the table, eyes getting bigger with each pancake Mary stacked. And there came Henry, sliding down the banister from upstairs. Hundreds of invisible hands clapped and cheered. Color left the scene, and an upbeat melody played in the background. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, you worthless slut. Laughter howled from every direction. Oh, Henry, that was tasteless. Just like you're cooking. More laughter. Some hooting this time. Mary just swatted her hand in the air and got back to the pancakes. Hiya, Dad. Oh, shut up, you waste of time and health insurance. Why didn't your mom swallow you? How about I chop you up and put you in a stew so all of us have a shot at it? The invisible audience roared. It wasn't able to get a hold of itself for some time. Henry's head swam. It took him a while to be aware of the phone against his head. It was his boss, screaming as usual, screaming about the poor quality of Henry's work and the last sandwich he made, especially the sandwich. Damn it, beavers. A dead Siberian nun's stiff left breast had more sandwich-making skills in its nipple than in your whole overpaid body. And so forth. And so on. Each run, each go, each cycle. Henry just takes it. He lets his boss dump all his rage onto him over the phone, off the clock. There is no laugh track. The sinking sun casts reddish-orange rays through the kitchen window, painting Henry's face. At long last, the bully is finished, and the line clicks off. Forty-five minutes later, the hospital calls. They have Timmy. Why was he suddenly at the hospital? Why didn't he get a phone call for forty-five goddamned minutes? The voice of the nurse over the phone begins to feel like knives. He can't keep listening. Then, the sun rises back up in the sky. His wife walks backward from the living room. Timmy spits up pancakes and rebuilds the tower. Mary throws them back in the pan, where they melt into batter. And it would all just start over again, until it was time for more coffee. Henry would notice something else for every time he'd cycle through, get a hint of something more. But he was like a starving man finding a crumb a day, and it was only a matter of time before they would come and take him away again. He became aware of one of his feet that was constantly warm and sticky. Taking the shoe off released a blast of putrid air. The sock was all sorts of nauseating shades of grime. It had a face drawn on it and permanent marker. Henry slid it off with a slurp and pushed his hand inside of it and brought the face to life. Hello, Henry. Hey, Mr. Comstocking. You made it out again. You're back on Old Elm Street again. Yep. The eyes of the sock turned sad. Still haven't cracked the case, huh? I've got a few more pieces of the puzzle, but they're too damn small. I'm running out of time. I'm cold. I'm hungry. I'm lonely. I can help you with the lonely part. Henry made the sock wink at him. Detective James Spudsack reeled back in his chair when his brain processed what the phone was telling him. His bumpy brow was raised high, sending their coarse follicles every which way, as if they were made of skin transplanted from his scrotum. Jesus and mustard, you don't say. You sure it was him? Thanks. 
look into it. He clicked off his cell and jumped to his feet, relieving his poor chair of his great girth. Hey, Pollops! He yelled to his partner a few desks away. Guess you might have escaped from the nut nest again. Colin Pollops looked up with a mouthful of semi-coffee-logged donuts. His circumstances rendered him incapable of speech. Even so, Spotsack presumed that his was the wrong answer, as usual. No, chumhead, Henry Beavers! Just got tipped that someone looking a lot like him is squatting in his old house again. Well, I don't know how he keeps getting out. You expect me to do all the brain work? I just arrest people. Uh, hand me his case file 36, would you? Just look it up in the database? Pollops asked, finally able to talk. Come on, you know how I work. Pollops rolled his eyes and reached for the briefcase under his desk. Case was a solid cube in its dimensions. Detective Spudsack had nothing but contempt for digital storage of information. He didn't want to be stuck with even the remote chance of a power outage that could deprive him of accessing valuable data. So, over the decades, he kept every note he had ever written in the briefcase. He wrote small and never used anything larger than a sticky note. So, every case from his entire career fit nicely in that briefcase. Still, sticky notes can be heavy in sufficient volume. Polyps threw his back out, carrying the case at least twice a month. He kept suggesting that the briefcase would benefit from some wheels. Spudsack kept suggesting that Polyps would benefit from getting the sand out of his vagina. He dug out several sticky notes held together with a paper clip and handed them to Spudsack. Polyps kept suggesting that paper clips were redundant since they are sticky notes. Spudsap kept suggesting, well, you know. Apartments.com has more pet-friendly rental listings than anywhere else. So, finding the perfect place is easier than ever, and so is finally moving in together. Just the two of you. It's a big step. Lots of new responsibilities. Lots of adjustments. Most likely, they'll wake you up at odd hours to go to the bathroom, and you'll most definitely find yourself in trouble coming home late for dinner. They might even unroll all your toilet paper next time. It's just what happens when you two find a new place together, but you're not doing it because you feel like it. No, you're doing it because you love them, because they're family. And that's why Apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet so that you and your furry family can find the perfect new place together. Apartments.com, the place to find a pet-friendly place. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Henry zipped up his pants with trembling hands. He always felt a little guilty after the fact, but his relationship with Mr. Comstocking was the most stable thing in his life. Hell, it was the only stable thing in his life. He brushed away the temptation to smell his hand. Better get a drink of water, he grumbled. Get one for me, too! Henry wheeled around. He saw nobody. Who's there? Show yourself. The sock slowly lifted itself into the air, 
and fixed Henry with its unblinking eyes. It laughed a thickly gurgled chuckle. After all that, Henry, you can't think of getting me a drink on your own? Henry gaped in awe. How? How is this possible? My special coffee should be out of my system by now. Well, aside from the fact that you're stark raving bonkers, you've been dumping the souls of your unborn children into me ever since this place got foreclosed. You've been filling me with life, Henry. I'm finally full. I don't know what to say. I say it's time for a second set of eyes in your quest. Drink your coffee. Henry smiled, bug-eyed. He slid down the banister to the cheers of the invisible crowd. Mary was making pancakes. Good morning, Mary. Who is she, Henry? She replied in a cold voice. What? We haven't had sex in weeks, Henry. I want to know who she is. Jesus, Mary. And Joseph, the sock gurgled. The audience bellowed with laughter. I'm not sleeping with anyone. Work's been a real pain, okay? Maybe it's time to tell your boss what your work is doing to your family. My work is supporting my family. Thank you very much. Life support isn't living, Henry. When's the last time you were at one of Timmy's ball games? Right? You haven't been to one. Not a single one. Uh, uh, well, fine. I'll quit my job and we'll live off what you make. Oh, uh, what's that, you say? You don't have a job? Well, there goes that idea. Back to you. If taking care of you wasn't such a project, I'd get a job in a heartbeat. Henry suddenly noticed that Timmy wasn't at the table. Say, where's the kid? Mary shivered. Don't act like you care now. I just asked a fucking question. Where's Timmy? He's staying at Grandma Beaver's farm for a few days for a school project. At least your mom is interested in helping him with school. Unlike you... He's living at Mom's farm, and nobody told me? Henry jumped at the sudden sound of the phone in his ear. Somebody screaming about a sandwich. It was his boss. The man never stopped yelling. Somehow, he was more bearable than Mary. Then, there was the call from the hospital. The world froze. The birds in the sky were anchored in place. The grass stopped swaying. The evening clouds were locked. Henry looked at the sock with tired, pleading eyes. This is as far as I get, each time. Something must have happened while you were on the phone. We'll have to see the police, the sock rasped. Are you crazy? The police are looking for me. I said, we'll have to see the police, not talk to the police. We'll have to divert their attention for a few minutes. Henry cocked his head to one side. Curious. Fucky Wucky Falls couldn't hide the fact that they didn't have much pride in any of their schools. True, you could trek from California into the tip of Maine and never find a school that hits all the marks. But the schools of Fucky Wucky Falls hit the least especially Dairy Elementary. Most of the faculty were staggeringly incompetent. Nobody wanted to work there, so there were no replacements. The kitchen crew was a team of one, a flabby-armed woman named Helga. She started going senile when she was 36, and English was not her native tongue. So, when she saw the name Dairy Elementary, she misread it as dairy, as in milk and stocked the cafeteria with nothing but dairy products. Yogurt, cheese, milk, ice cream, and so forth. Her peers tried to correct her every week, but it would slip her memory. And so, the cycle would repeat itself. The cycle was nearing the 37-year mark. Between the calorie intake, the constipation, and the statistical lactose intolerance, 
All the dairy students were rotund. No reference was needed for playing tag. As soon as you put your hands on someone, they farted in alarm. Henry approached the snowy school grounds at recess. He watched bloated children tackle each other and trigger blasts of noise. He stood at the fence for a moment, noting how much warmer it was this close to the kids. Very few children could fit on the swings. Most of them clambered about the plastic castle with its tubes and platforms. They wondered how none of them got stuck. He took a deep breath and donned a bright smile. Hey, fat kid, he yelled. Every single child stopped and looked at him. Time to burn some calories. He lobbed a Molotov cocktail at the castle. It struck against the aluminum monkey bars. Blue flames scattered then turned orange, spreading in a tide of destruction. The children went up like paper mache and soon resembled a herd of roasting meatballs with legs. Henry clapped his hands and sang, One little, two little frying fat asses, three little, four little frying fat asses. The percentage of children that remembered to stop, drop, and roll was most unfortunate. Turned out they could only stop, drop, and rock. Laying in the cool snow only made them burn slowly. Detective Spudsack and his partner were headed to Elm Street when their radio lit up. What? All the fat kids at Derry are burning? That's awful. There's nothing but fat kids at Derry. Will you shut up and get the hemorrhaging fuck over there? The dispatcher screamed at vein-popping volume. Spudsack's squad car peeled out of its spot and fishtailed its way across the snowy road. When the car pulled up, the kids were much smaller. Their timing couldn't have been worse. The unluckiest boy on earth was at the eye of the lake of fire that was melting the snow off the dormant grass. He was the crown prince of lactose intolerance, on top of a number of sensitive GI issues. He was caught in one of the tubes, which flooded with fire. All of his clothes were made of synthetic material, which melted and stuck to him like napalm. It was only a matter of time before his bloated intestines with their propane tank capacity met the flames. One big agony-induced muscle spasm pushed through all six months of blockage, and the blast hurled his schoolmates over the fence and into the street. Others met a merciful end against the walls of the school, dislodging some of the masonry. A few chained the explosion further when their guts were breached. Wow. I guess the Christmas fundraiser's gonna be tough, Henry said with a stiff grin. Well, don't just stand there, idiot! Hide! said Mr. Cumstocking from inside Henry's shoe. Up, up, and away! Henry said with a whoop. Spudsack and Polyps were showered by the glass of the windshield as dairy students came crashing down. Diarrhea jetted from both ends of the ruined body, filling the squad car with a rotten, yeasty aroma. Oh God, oh God, oh God, screamed Polyps. The fat kid's still burning, get it off of me, shrieked Spudsack. His partner didn't follow those orders. He jumped out of the car. Blackened mounds littered the playground, and smoke billowed off of them into the air. A chill seeped into Polyps' very soul. Oh Lord have mercy, Polyps whispered. Nice job of helping me. What if that napalm shit in that kid's gut had lit me up, huh? I truly appreciate your care and concern. Spudsack furiously wiped greasy ashes off of his coat. He froze and made a face when he ran his hand through rancid feces. He scraped it off and slapped Polyps in the face with it. Now, give me the case file so I can start some notes. We're gonna be here a while. Polyps disappeared but came back empty-handed. Hello? Case files. They're, um, gone, sir. Gee willikers, Henry said as he dragged the monstrous briefcase through the front door of his house. Couldn't we have stolen my case file and left this behind? No time, gurgled Mr. Cumstocking. Now move quickly, 
They're on your trail and you don't have much time to study. They'll be looking here soon enough. Henry lit an oil lamp and let the orange rays angle into the bag. The sticky notes were surprisingly well organized, neatly stood up in rows and tightly packed. The handwriting was atrociously small but still legible. Then he found it. He began reading. There were notes from interviewing him, from interviewing his wife, from interviewing his neighbors and his relatives. But what made his hair stand on end were the notes from interviewing Grandma Beavers. While staying with her on her farm out in the sticks, Timmy had gotten stung by bees and had an allergic reaction. She called 911 and then tried to call Henry. She tried to call two minutes before he had gotten off the phone with his boss. Two minutes. If he had just hung up on his boss and not taken the abuse, he could have heard the phone ring and been there for Timmy. But no, Timmy died without his father, all because he couldn't stand up to his boss. Mr. Comstocking sputtered a juicy sigh of satisfaction. Ooh, I think it's time to make your boss a very special sandwich. The puppet slurped. A bowl of grief, rage, and destruction boiled in Henry's stomach. He gulped more of his special coffee. His grin returned as tears flowed into it. That sounds swell. But where are we going to get the ingredients? Detective Spudsack sat at his desk without his usual stoic, commanding posture. His shoulders were slouched, and he stared through his desk into a void only he could see. His jowls trembled. A shiver had settled into his ribs and wouldn't leave. Fucky Wucky Falls just wasn't the place that mass murder occurred. It was wrong. No matter how much this crime had cut local greenhouse gas emissions, it was a wound on his conscience. He got to the scene too late. That weighed on him. Someone touched his shoulder and he yelled. It was Polyps. I'm sorry, sir. What do you want? He grunted. Someone called in a tip, sir. Someone that matches Mr. Beaver's description was spotted wandering around the northeast quarter. Northeast quarter? There's nothing up there but old mines. If that's all there is, then that's where he's hiding. Right? Hmm. Sir? Spudsack gave a hard nod. Some of the fierceness had returned to his eyes. He wouldn't stay at his home since that would be the first place we'd look. But it wasn't the first place we looked, sir. Shut up. You know what I mean. Gear up. Meet me here at sundown. We'll go throw our man a little housewarming party. Now, when they say the mines are the only thing in the northeast quarter of Fucky Wucky Falls, it's literally the only thing. Between how much land was disturbed and the chemicals they used for drilling, the land wouldn't grow much more than a few clumps of grass per square mile. It truly was Fucky Wucky Falls' very own wasteland. There were only a handful of entrances to the mines. The lawmen had lucked out. They had staked out next to the right aperture. Henry held his oil lantern out, creating a bubble of light in the middle of an ocean of night. There he is, sir. Give him time to go inside. Henry paused before entering. Spudsack felt his pulse quicken. Surely he couldn't see that far out. Or maybe a maniac like him had a special talent for detecting danger. Their man finally went inside and the lantern light faded out. God bless Fucky Wucky Falls, sir. We got him. That's right. You've got him. Oh, uh, what? Go on. Get him. Hold on now. Why me? Oh, Jesus Christ, because if you don't make it, someone has to report back. He kicked Polyps until he got out of the squad car. The poor partner put his long-fingered hands on his hips and sighed. 
Well, here goes nothing. Polyps didn't like the dark. He was surrounded by it, and there was more of it waiting for him inside the mine shaft. A damp air brushed his face like a ghost's icy ass cheek. He wanted so badly to whip out his flashlight, but he also didn't want to signal Henry. So, he flicked on a lighter he stole from Spudsack. The small flame was brilliant against the darkness. A rotting set of rails led the way forward. A few ancient minecarts sat like tombstones, never to move forward or backward ever again. There were a few artifacts that hinted at attempts at normal life below ground. Benches, moldy bookshelves. There was a makeshift toilet consisting of a bench with a hole carved into it. A rusty pail sat beneath. The shaft began to branch off, and Polyp shivered at the idea of getting lost down there. He imagined things worse than Henry Beavers lurking in the dark. Hungry things just waiting for, and there it was, the strangest little Santa Claus that Polyps had ever seen. The beard was made of cotton, the hat was a repurposed rag, but the body, he couldn't place it. He knelt, holding the lighter closer for a better look. The light was just within range of a distant crate labeled TNT. His throat closed shut, and he had a convulsion that threw him away from the little Santa Claus. He dropped the lighter. His heartbeat drummed as he felt around for it. He found it and rose to his feet before relighting. Flick. Sure enough, several crates rose to his waist, warnings of the contents in stenciled letters. He leered down at the Santa Claus. It was a bundle of dynamite. He held the lighter up to see that there were a number of festive crafts made from the explosive sticks. There were elves, reindeer, Christmas trees made from green tinsel wrapped around single sticks of dynamite. Just when he thought he had seen the worst of it all, one single item nearly made his heart stop. A crowbar. It was shiny. It was shiny because it was new. It sat next to a crate with the lid pried open and sporting nails like teeth. Polyps wavered as the ground beneath his feet rippled. No. No, he couldn't afford to pass out. He fell to one knee, catching the ground with his free hand. He looked up. Wait. The crowbar was gone. He was both relieved and alarmed. Maybe he dreamed it. No, it was very real. It came crashing down on the back of his skull. When the stars cleared, he saw an oil lamp carving out the grinning face of Henry. He instantly fought to get up, but the crowbar repeatedly struck. Blows found his head and created ringing in his ears. But when the blunt weapon came down on the back of his neck, that's when Polyps didn't get back up. No matter how much his brain commanded his body to do so. Paralyzed. Henry rolled him onto his back and looked at him for a long moment. He disappeared and returned with the toilet bench. He positioned the hole over Polyps' face and unzipped his pants. Your Christmas present is on its way, Henry said. Spudsack didn't want to go into the mine, but the longer his partner delayed, the more it was certain that he couldn't sit. He went in without a light. He was waiting for any signs of Henry's lantern, but there was nothing. The stillness of the mine was suffocating. He clicked on his flashlight and had to choke back a scream. There was Polyps on his back, completely naked. His eyes were rolled up into his head and something awful pulled in his mouth. The smell hit him and he shrank back. And Polyps drowned in shit? 
There was another acrid smell that bit his nose, but he couldn't name it. That's when he saw the words carved into his dead partner's stomach, apparently gouged with a knife. If you can read this, I'm upside down. Spudsack swallowed hard and looked around. There was nothing to see, aside from a few old crates marked TNT. The shaft floor was bare. He placed his foot on the body and rolled it over. There were more words gouged into his partner's scrawny back. Happy birthday. He had just enough time to read this before he saw the smoking stick of dynamite that was rammed into the body's relaxed rectum. Another day passed. Another winter sunset signaled the end of the business day. Color began to bleed back into Henry's vision as he staggered around the business district of Fucky Wucky Falls. With it came grief and a mental agony that crushed his skull like a vice. He would have to brew more of his special coffee soon. He was having a hard time finding his way. Fucky Wucky Falls was small, but its business district was considerable. A car came within inches of striking Henry. It veered off and crushed a fire hydrant and then a traffic light. The light's fragile chassis fell over, exposing the tearing wires that flailed about and found the fountain of water. Sparks flew and fingers of raw electricity writhed across the ground like demonic serpents. The driver began crying for help. Henry jumped into action. Hey, you need to trust me, he yelled to the driver. You need to listen to me before your car explodes and takes you with it. Now, open your door. The driver was a 60-something man that eyed the expanding lake of water and the electricity that ribboned through it. He obeyed and threw the door open as wide as possible. Um, what do I do now? Jump! Quickly! I, I can't. Get to safety before the water rises too high. The man shouldn't have been able to make the jump, but he did. Henry helped him up and hurried him out of the way of the water that rose just high enough to touch the car and send a current of deadly power through it. The fireball of the exploding gas tank was blinding. Warped chunks of metal rained down, but none of them hit Henry or the driver. Young man, you've saved me. I owe you my life. Swell, said Henry. He then shoved the driver into the deadly water. His body instantly writhed and contorted as the high voltage tore through his living tissue. His mouth went wide with a primal howl of undiluted agony. Threads of blue light danced from the roof of his mouth to his tongue. Henry studied that mouth. If he knew his electrical theory correctly, he got out his coffee maker and prepared the basket with his special blend. Dime store coffee grounds, caffeine pills, stolen Prozac, an orphan's molars, a few rubber bands for extra bitterness. He felt the water reservoir and crossed his fingers as he lowered the plug into the jostling driver's mouth. The coffee maker began to hiss and gurgle. Soon enough, there was the hot, happy, jolly brew, the one that kept him on the straight and narrow. The left eyeball of the convulsing body exploded, and Henry just barely avoided a spill. His pulse went from zero to a thousand in a snap. You worthless shitfuck! Henry roared. He caught himself, embarrassed. Gee willikers, I'm sorry about that, chief. I haven't had a fresh cup of coffee in a while. I'm a different person without it. A wet pop announced that the body's left thigh had burst out of its socket. Henry took a swig of the acrid coffee. Soon enough, the thrashing body was lying on a beach, napping serenely beneath the sun. It opened its eyes, smiling, despite the hollow socket curdled with gore. The power cord in its mouth was replaced by a cigarette. Ah, I'm no prude, Henry. Besides, what a swell day for being on the sand. 
super swell, chief. Super swell. Henry felt the sting of tears. Are you okay there, Henry? Yeah, I just... Um... Thanks for being understanding. The body furrowed its brows and waved a hand as if to say, Don't mention it. But Henry wasn't done. You know, I've tried to be a good Christian man. I've tried to do right by everybody, and I mean, doggone it, it seemed like the more I tried to do right by everybody, the fewer people I could do right by. And then, well, when things went bad for my son, I I just couldn't do right by anyone. Not my wife, not my friends, not God. It's enough to make a man crazy. You were crazy to think trying so hard would do you any good. You're the perfect picture of sanity now, let me tell you. Henry laughed and cried both. The body stroked the sandy beach. Take a vacation, Henry. It does you wonders. I will. After I've done with this one last job. It shook its head. I heard what you're up to, Henry. I think you've wasted enough time. I know you want to be there for Timmy, but it's a bit late. Better late than never, brother. Don't waste your vacation talking to a wash-up like me. See you around, Henry. The body reverted to its true form. Flesh blackened and smoking, agitating the water. It wasn't the first time that the staff of the towering Ambelco building saw Henry come through the front doors. He had come through them for years as a salaried employee. After his son's accident, he looked more haggard and smelled worse each time. Then they only saw him when he escaped from the institution. This was the first time in years, though he came in with a smile. He was on the pretty young secretary before she knew what was happening. He grabbed her curly blonde locks with one hand, and he had a stick of dynamite in the other. Her moans of suppressing her gag reflux backfired. The deadly stick slid down her throat. Henry pushed her towards the oncoming security guards. The explosion happened deep in her chest, launching her silicon implants with deadly velocity. One of them atomized a guard's face. The other one decapitated a homeless lady using a public Xerox machine from a hundred yards away. Henry twisted off the secretary's lower jaw and drove both points into the remaining guard's eyes. His new visor made him scream in sightless pain. A third guard rounded a distant corner. He was tall. He was shaped like a bloated Christmas tree. He was old. Old enough to recognize Henry. Oh, beavers, not again! Hellfire kindled in Henry's eyes and his grin clenched tightly enough to fuse his teeth together. Chief Anderson, don't you know by now? You'll never work harder than me. You're probably still sneaking extra lunch from the kitchen during paid hours. The reality of the carnage sank in and the lumbering chief beelined for an alarm. The secretary's jawless head was attached to her body by just a few fibers of connective tissue. One good flick and a snap like a celery stalk, and her head was free. He gripped the hair and whirled it above him, blood fanning out in circles. The sweet young thing's cranium bulleted like a bolt of lightning and struck Anderson in the back of the knee. He smacked the carpet like a great garbage sack full of pudding. Henry sauntered towards the floundering chief of security. The large man just managed to roll himself over in time to see Henry attack a cowering old man and grab his wooden cane. He rammed the full length of it down the elder's throat and yanked it back out. As the old man crawled off to die of internal hemorrhaging, Henry snapped the bloody cane over his knee into two parts, each with a sharp end. You're an asshole, Beavis, Anderson cried in shock. Sorry, Anderson. I'm afraid you're the asshole. 
Henry drew back both halves like spears. And on the dick... The later it got, the more agitated Carl Burdens got. He was waiting for his hot new secretary to text him that it was time to sneak off. He couldn't risk them being seen together, but she was taking her sweet time. He didn't want to have to face coming home to his wife with a little action, but even as quickly as he usually finished, they would be pressed for time if she delayed any longer. He collapsed into his office chair behind his desk. He looked up, just in time for the double doors of his grand office to crash open. A dinner cart in the cafeteria sailed in. On it, lard hanging over the edges, was the naked body of his chief of security. Two bloody wooden sticks protruded from his eye sockets. He was screaming like a stuck pig. It took Burdens a minute to realize he was stuck with some third item. There was something... Oh, God. Something was sticking out of his ass. Something red. Something smoking. The explosion blew Anderson's entire digestive tract, from the colon to the tip of his tongue, out of his gaping mouth. It smacked into burdens and wrapped around him and his hair like a hunter's bola. Henry approached from behind the gutted corpse. Beavers! What the actual fuck? I finally figured it out. My mom tried to call me and tell me about my son. I was on the phone with you, so she couldn't get through. You were screaming at me about a sandwich. A sandwich! I missed my chance to be next to my dying son because you were pissy over a sandwich! Burden squinted at him, tilting his head. You don't remember? Oh, I remember, Burdens grunted. Then he yelled, That's what you get for making a shitty sandwich! Henry looked at the two fragments of Kane and Anderson's dead skull, wondered which one would be best. But then he saw the small letter opener on his former boss's desk. I'm going to peel the living flesh off your head and drink in your screams, said Henry, as he put the letter opener between his teeth and began to roll up his sleeves. Another bang broke the air, not of dynamite, a gunshot. Burden's left hand, wrapped tightly as it was by entrails, held a smoking revolver. The bullet had pierced one of Henry's lungs. Blood shot up into his sinuses. He sneezed. He blinked away the red that clouded his vision, and, well, the letter opener was buried in Burden's eye. Henry wanted to laugh, but he couldn't. He gawked at the limp body of his boss. He was surprised to find himself enraged at how peaceful the corpse appeared, even with the letter opener protruding from its eye. Henry, with his racing pulse and his ragged breathing, was the one suffering. No, 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 no. If there was anything like a soul down inside that man, Henry was going to make damn well sure that got a taste of fire. He staggered over to the remaining bundles of festive dynamite and began decorating the corpse with them. He plugged every orifice with what would fit. He found some duct tape in the desk and wrapped as many of the deadly sticks to the body as the remaining tape would allow. Henry's vision swam and flickered. He didn't have much time. He clinked open his lighter, casting wobbly rays that trembled like Henry's lungs. Daddy? Came a voice from beside Henry. It was Timmy. Henry didn't smile at him. His brow furrowed. His eyes pooled with pink tears. His whole frame trembled the way it did when he had driven his old truck 
with Timmy riding in the back. Hey. Hey, son. It's good to see you. You gonna blow this man up, Dad? Yeah. Yeah, I am. He's not fit to be buried in the same earth you were. His grave is going to be the dust of the air and the walls. His tombstone is going to be the rubble of this building. But Dad, I don't want you to blow up too. Henry sniffed, which triggered a bloody cough. It's a little late for me, son. Besides, I'm not fit to be buried in the earth with you either. Please don't say that, Daddy. You died because I missed a phone call, son. I let this son of a bitch hold me up on the phone. I was too afraid of losing my job to hang up on him. Grandma tried to call me while he was cussing me out. I I let this man keep me from being there for you, son. I'm just as guilty as he is. But Daddy... I was hurt anyway. That wasn't your fault. Yes, it was. I've never been there for you. Not for your, your, your ball games, not for your birthdays, not your... Your passing. Henry lost it and sobbed, his pink tears turning red. I forgive you, Daddy. I don't. Please... You were supposed to be my life. Everything went with you. Your mom never forgave me. How could she? How could I? I don't have it in me, son. I don't have anything inside of me. Timmy stared at his father with the stillness of a cardboard cutout. Henry caught his breath sensing that his lungs were starting to fill with blood. Listen, tis the season, and I also remembered that today was your birthday. Emotion flashed in the phantom's eyes. You remembered? Henry lit as many fuses as his shaking hand would allow. Their acrid smoke mingled with the metallic stink of blood. I love you, son. Now, make a wish, huh? Timmy paused, considering. But he just threw his arms around Henry and held tight. Legend has it, Timmy whispered his wish into his father's ear. But we'll never know. You've been listening to Wholesome Henry's Holiday Hijinks by Richard Morgan. Wholesome Henry's Holiday Hijinks was written by and brought to you courtesy of Richard Morgan. Richard lives in the Midwest, in Riverton, Illinois. Very much small town, USA. What better place for writing horror? His crew consists of three cats, two kids, and his wife. He was a cake decorator before he took up writing full-time. Don't worry, none of those cakes were poisoned. He produces his own horror storytelling podcast, Marsh Lights, which can be heard on Spotify and most of the places you get your podcasts. See the link in the show notes. You can keep up with him and his antics at richardmorganwrites.com. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, Please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear more lengthy tales, be sure to take a look at my audiobooks, available now on audible.com. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com 
where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive, dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for yet another Dance with Darkness. I bet you good night, sleep tight, listener, and whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to Horror Hill, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, as well as a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Jason Hill, unless otherwise noted. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Felipe Ojeda under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's logo was created by Craig Groshek, and this week's artwork provided by Omega Black, unless otherwise noted. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you've heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more, and haven't already, be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for hundreds of free audio horror stories, including more performances from yours truly, and consider supporting us by becoming a patron at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next week with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, I'm Jason Hill, and you've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast. Good evening, and sweet dreams. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. 
Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.